Welcome to the Stalk Under Mythics podcast with your hosts, Donnie and Rob. We're here to help you thrive in a world of big data and complex analytics. All right, Rob, I hope you're uh, doing well this week. Welcome back to the podcast. How are, how are things going for you in your neck of the woods? Doing well here. Thanks for having me back. Good, good. All right, so the past few weeks we've been doing um, sort of a little mini-series on perception versus reality. And um, so we've gone over a few different topics. We talked about, um, you know, the, the perception versus reality, traffic accidents. Uh, we talked about perception versus reality and what's going on with crime. Uh, we talked about it relative to cancer, um, to kids these days, perceptions that, you know, uh, kids these days are somehow worse than kids in our generation on a bunch of different dimensions. Um, and then last week we talked about uh, perceptions relative to the to the middle class. And so, you know, in each one of those, most of those are actually good news stories. It turns out the traffic accidents are uh, down substantially over the past few decades. Uh, crime on pretty much every dimension except for obviously cybercrime is way down. Um, cancer death rates are, are actually down. There's some mixed news in there, depending on, uh, which kinds of cancers you're talking about. Uh, it turns out that kids these days, pretty much on every single dimension that you can think of, um, are doing better now than, you know, our generation and the generations close to our generation. Um, and then when we talked about the middle class, obviously, uh, you know, there's a little more complicated story there where, you know, folks in the middle class, are perceptually as well off if you look at it in real dollars as you know people have been historically in the middle class, but there's been some shifts in terms of how expensive various things are. And so, you know, folks in the middle class can buy lots of TVs, but nobody can afford to educate their kids or nobody can afford um, to go to the doctor and get things taken care of. And so um, a lot of those are good news stories, um, but I uh, want to just take this episode and kind of, you know, reflect on this little mini series and, and, and sort of talk about some of the major themes and, uh, you know, first, I just want to get your reaction, like, you know, of the things we talked about, are any of those especially surprising to you or different than what your initial perceptions were? Yeah, I think the the traffic accidents being down, like I've said before, that that one really surprised me. And since we recorded that episode, I, you know, I, I'm paying even more attention. I'm, I'm seeing, <laughs> I don't know, it's just because of what you told me, but I'm just seeing more drivers, more distracted driving more people swerving out of their lane. Um, so I'm just, I mean, that's my own confirmation bias. I'm, I'm trying to prove you wrong on that, Donnie, because I, <laughs> I go out and I see, 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 I, I don't know how the data backs this up. These people, <laughs> these people are terrible drivers. So yeah, yeah that, that one still surprised me though. I, I believe your data and probably the cancer one surprised me too. Maybe it's just as I get older, cancer, deaths or cancer scares hit closer to home because I know more people with these diagnoses. So, uh, I don't, I don't feel that one, uh, the way, um, like I, I felt the kids getting better these days. Yeah, I believe that. Um, and I do believe like the crime, I kind of sense that. And I definitely sense in the middle class that we are not better off. You know, um, I don't feel with the buying power that we're any better off. I feel middle class is struggling, but I think, 
cancer deaths being better and traffic acts or traffic accidents and deaths uh, that we're doing better. Those two were big surprises to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the thing I, I should say about uh, or we, we should be clear about. So on the traffic accidents, um, the accidents and the death rate are down. Doesn't necessarily mean that people are driving better, per se. Um, there's been a bunch of technological advances, a bunch of things that have happened. And so it could be that people are driving worse on average, but the equipment and the safety features and all that kind of stuff are preventing more accidents, the way that roads are designed. We talked about roundabouts historically. Um, and so, you know, it could be that people are actually driving worse. It's just the outcomes are better. Um, I'm going with that. That's the one I'm going with. <laughs> yeah, but 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 it's likely not that. It's, it's likely that oh. people are actually um, concentrating. Well, you know, again, you know, a lot of accidents are caused by kids. Most states have enacted laws that you have to drive longer uh, with your parents. And, you know, there's a bunch of things that have actually happened. And again, the other thing that's interesting, and and we won't know these numbers for a while in reality, but it does look like there's a strange uptick last year during the pandemic. Like you'd suspect with, uh, you know, so many people being off the roads that you would have, uh, you know, much better outcomes. But it does look like there might have been an uptick, um, you know, in a theoretical sense, it should actually just kind of go away. Um, but it will be interesting to see what actually caused that and some of what the reasons were uh, were for that. But um, but I'm glad, though, that, you know, part of the, the reason we wanted to do um, that series is just to kind of reset and just to kind of, you know, see what's going on in the world and, and kind of talk about how data could actually inform our perspective of what's actually going on. And so I'm actually glad that some of those things are surprising to you. Um, and I hope for the folks who are listening, some of those things uh, were surprising as well. Yeah. And this is what I like about, about the things you bring up is perception versus reality. Cause we, we talk about it all the time. We think we're right about everything and it's nice to see data thrown in our face so that we can say, Oh, wow, I was wrong. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and the other thing that I, I wanted to do today is actually just, you know, talk through conceptually. So so why is this? Why do we have these disconnects between perception and reality? You know, what does this all mean in the context of a world that uh, has more data information available than ever before? Um, and, you know, how do we how do we function in this world? Like, how, how do we help ourselves be better informed based on the data, but at the same time, uh, not lose the reality of what's going on on the ground and, you know, our own personal experiences. And so um, when we come back, why don't we spend a little bit of time just talking about, you know, some of the big concepts underlying this whole conversation about perception versus reality. Sounds good. Welcome back, Donnie. Let's continue this conversation because I find this this brain stuff so interesting. Um, I would think conceptually that we should be getting more things right these days. We have so much more data available to us than previous generations that we should be right more often. We should be more accurate more often. But you just you turn on the news, you look at anything these days. There are so many people fighting about everything, and they are so dug in. And they're, they're, the arguments are they're mutually exclusive. Like they, they both can't be right, but they're both so sure they're right. And this goes across, across so many different topics. So why is that? Why with so much data available to us, why do we seem more wrong when we should be more right? So I think the, the core problem is, is that this is a new world. 
historically, uh, we have our own experiential information and data. So the, the pool of uh, information we used in order to make decisions and choices and build our internal models was very small. It was the things that we experienced, maybe the things that our parents taught us, uh, you know, the things that we read in books, that kind of stuff. Um, fast forward to today, and we have access to just amazing amounts of information, right? We have uh, we have the world of information at our fingertips, and we just, we haven't figured out, we, we don't have the habits and the behaviors um, that have actually sort of been imprinted in us uh, through the process of education or through the way we interact with our families or the way that we're brought up. We don't have the skills necessary to incorporate that kind of information in our decision-making process on a regular basis. And so I think we're a little bit um, stuck in that we are living in a world of big data and information, but our internal behaviors, the way that we interact with the world is still as if we didn't have access to it. And I think for a while now, we're going to have a little bit of a growing pain trying to figure out as society, how do we effectively incorporate this massive amount of information and data that we have access to in the way that we actually interact with the world. Wow, that's interesting, Donnie. So that's that sounds like there's so much information that it's it's number one, it's overwhelming to us. But doesn't that also play into like confirmation bias? Like there's so much that we can pick and choose what we want. And it, it plays into all these other things we talked about, right? How we dig in our heels on certain things. Yeah. Well, and you know, that's the that's the challenge, right? It's it's not only are we overwhelmed by the information, we just we we don't have um the patterns and behaviors to deal with that information, right? So historically, we relied on our experiential data. Um, so the things that we have seen in the world, like, you know, my friend did this and they got this outcome. I did this and I got this outcome. And, you know, that that information is incredibly valuable, right? That that has kept us alive for the most part, <laughs> being able to, you know, understand what's good and bad for us based on our experiences and the experiences of those around us. Um, but we overweight that, right? So um, when we go out into the world and we, you know, see all the information that's available, not only does it overwhelm us, but we're still relying so much on the experiential um, data that we're, we're, we're drawing upon that we tend to overweight it in a way that minimizes uh, the data that we get about the world from, you know, places like science and, you know, the stuff that gathers and various governmental agencies and that kind of thing. Like we, we just don't, we don't trust it as much as we do um, our own experiential data. And once we develop a perspective, like you said, that's when that confirmation bias or that motivated reasoning um, really starts to kick in. And so um, not only do we not have the behaviors in order to incorporate this sort of massive volume of data information into the way that we process the world, um, but because we don't do it effectively and we overweight our experiential um, as well as our sort of um, tribal relations, right? The groups that we're a part of, yeah. because we overweight those things, um, we tend to develop perspectives and opinions and then go out into the world in that sort of bigger pool of information and look for stuff that confirms what we already believe and interpret it in a way that confirms uh, what we already believe. Right. So there's the confirmation bias. And then the system, the system one thinking, the quick thinking we've relied on for so long. Are you saying we haven't developed? The, the skills uh, or we haven't practiced it enough to the deep thinking, the analytical system to thinking. Well, I'm saying we haven't, um, we, we, we have not developed the skills on a wide sort of basis in order to incorporate large volumes of data into our decision-making processes into the way we build our models internally in the way that we think about the world. Um, 
is part one. Part two is because we haven't done that, we tend to over sort of overweight our um, own personal experiences uh, and the experiences of those around us, including the people that we are, you know, the groups that we are associated with. And so we develop these uh, perspectives and opinions about the world and these models of how the world works. <clears throat> and then we go out into that larger pool of data looking to confirm those things. And, you know, part of the challenge is, again, we, we've talked about this several times, um, as humans, we, we hold opinions about pretty much everything, particularly as we get to be adults. And, you know, there there are these processes that we go through from time to time of searching and updating. And as we're kids and we're learning things, we're more open to information. Um, but once we have an opinion or perspective, uh, it is really, 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 really difficult uh, to change that. And so, you know, we like to think that we are being rational and that Everything that we believe is reality. Um, it is part of our identity. It's part of the way that we function. And we believe that everything we believe is right, right? We don't hold beliefs that we believe are untrue. If, if we thought they were untrue, we wouldn't hold the belief. And so because of that, once we've developed those things using our own experiences and the experiences of those around us, when we go into the world, into this larger pool of information and data, um, we go in searching for ways to validate the things we already believe, and it's not very objective. It's also, uh, it's, it's very subjective. Um, and, you know, one of the, um, one of the things that I, I think we also have to uh, sort of pull out is um, even in our experiential um, data, the stuff that has happened to us personally, um, we all believe that we remember everything that's happened accurately, that we're assimilating that information accurately. The challenge is, is that um, there's a lot of subjectivity in the way that we store and process our memories and the information that's even in our experiential database, right? So if you're to think about our minds as this kind of database, and some of that information that we store is experiential, so the stuff that we've done on a regular basis, um, that's not objective, right? That is shaped by our opinions, that is shaped by our personality, that is shaped by, um, you know, a bunch of different things. And so, um, we are shaping our initial perceptions on information, which is not objective, but subjective. And once we get those impressions, we go out into the world of objective data, looking for ways to prove that we are correct and that we are right. Okay. So simply put, it's, I know what I know. I know the way the world works. Don't try to debate me with facts and data. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> That is, that's that is hard to overcome. Yep. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's the challenge, right? We, we don't, we, we just don't as humans have the experience living in a world that has such amazing amounts of data available on a regular basis. We, we have not developed the skills to turn through that. Um, we have not developed capabilities to integrate that into the way we think. And so, the only way we're able to do it is to a become conscious of it and then b develop skills in order to do it. Yeah, and that's those are two hard steps to make for sure. I mean, it's 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 much easier to just live knowing what you know, and, and I mean, it's it's just it's a hard step to to dive into data. I mean, who wants to spend time doing that? Is I mean, that's what we're up against. Yeah, well, and that's the other challenge. We are. Um, <laughs> I always tell people I'm not lazy. I'm just efficient, right? Like I, yeah. I want to do, I want to do things as easy as uh, I can possibly do them. Um, and that is true of humans in general, even the way that we think, 
right? Our, our mind is wired to save energy. You know, again, we, we can talk about all kinds of examples of this, but, you know, we, we, we've mentioned this before. I'm sure you've had the experience of driving to one place and you forget where you're going and you end up driving to work, right? Like you end up being on that path or you're driving to work and you get there and you get there safely, but you have no idea how you got there. And um, that's because your mind's efficient, right? It's developing these routines. It's storing these routines in a part of the mind that is, uh, you know, easily accessible, doesn't take a lot of conscious thought and therefore um, preserves energy. And, um, you know, the challenge is, is that uh, we're lazy, right? Like we're, we're mentally lazy in a way that is positive because it preserves energy. But because we're doing that, um, the idea that we have to expend the mental energy to update our internal models based on some new information just feels bad, right? It just doesn't feel good. Like I know what I know. I know what I believe. And you can take your facts and you can go home because if I had to really interact with these, I would have to spend the energy to do it. And, right. you know, that's assuming someone brings us the data. Um, I mean, just think about how much effort it is to go research some of these things we've talked about, right? Like it, it, it takes time and energy and, um, you know, it is, again, not something that we as human beings want to do, particularly if we don't understand the importance of a particular topic in our lives at a certain point, like we're, we're just not going to expend the energy, the time, the effort um, to go out and find what reality is. We're just going to continue to rely on what we um, sort of perceive or think we know to be true. Right. And, and I'm glad you also mentioned tribes and the tribal uh, way of thinking, because that's another component of this. Like if you and all your friends and all your whole social group believe something and then facts are contradicting that it it would take so much effort to to analyze that and then to to agree with the other side at the cost of your friendships with your social group so what's 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 more comforting to just agree with your friends and to not look at contradictory data you know isn't that better like who wants to go out and because there's a social cost to then say oh my all of my friends are wrong about this. So you're up against that too. Right. And, you know, and there are situations where um, accepting something as reality uh, may actually cost you that relationship. Right. So yes, for sure. One of the things that sociologically we do is we exclude people who have different perspectives or opinions that that is part of the leverage that groups can actually employ to help individuals develop certain sort of common sets of beliefs and opinions and models of how the world works is, okay, if you don't believe this, we're going to withhold your membership in this organization, right? And I don't right. mean like a, a card that you send to somebody in the mail. I mean, we're not going to, um, you know, continue to sort of spend time with you. We're going to exclude you from things, that kind of stuff. That That is, um, and we all want to be a part, like, so again, you know, different people have different personalities in terms of extroversion, introversion, all that kind of stuff. But even the staunchest in, introvert, um, wants to be part of a group, right? It might not be a situation where the person wants to go out and go to wild parties or talk a lot or any of those kinds of things, but we all want to belong, um, to be loved, to be uh, sort of nurtured by people that are around us. And so um, there is a real cost sometimes when uh, the data, the information supports a perspective that is different than whatever group we're a part of. Um, because that group might withhold that from us. And, you know, that is a real cost. And that is something that um, is definitely a play as we think about building um, our internal models of the world. 
Okay, so Donnie, you 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 said that we don't have the skills and and patterns in our brains to to take advantage of all this data that's out there. Can can you elaborate on that? I'm I'm not sure I quite I, I understand. Yeah, so th- there's a couple different things, and you know I think one of the challenges when we think about data and information and being able to effectively utilize it. Um, most of the time, people go directly to things like math or statistics or um, you know, data science or computer modeling or, or whatever they think about in terms of how you take a, advantage of information data. And that, yeah. that certainly is part of it. Um, you know, as we go forward, we'll, we'll talk about some of these things. Like uh, There's a couple of things I really look forward to talking about, causality versus correlation and Simpson's paradox and a bunch of other things, which really are just you know, sort of mathematically, how do we interpret the world? And so, so that, is, that is a part of it. Um, but the bigger part of it, from my perspective, is um, understanding that there are psychological and sociological processes um, that are deeply embedded in the way that um, the average human being interacts with the world that we have to understand in order to reshape them, in order to take advantage of all the information and data that we have available now. And so, um, when I talk about skills, it is all three of those. It is the sort of mathematical, statistical sort of capabilities that most folks have never been trained in. Um, but it is also understanding our psychology and how that works and also understanding sociology and the difference between psychology and sociology. Psychology is kind of the inner working of the mind, for lack of a better word. Um, sociology is the interactions between people. And so um, it is both of those things which actually shape the way uh, that we view the world and the way that we actually utilize information in order to get closer and closer to reality. And so it is all three of those that are necessary in order to be effective in this area. Okay, so I understand the whole math thing. If, I, if I'm allergic to math, I stink at it. I, I understand why I don't want to dive into data, but can you give me an example of psychological and a, a sociological deficit where I would not be able to take advantage of this. Yes. Right. So certainly the psychological, um, it's all the stuff we've been talking about, the, this notion that, um, you know, that we have this sort of protective process that runs that we want to be right. Like our identity is largely wrapped up in being right and having status. And so um, we expend a lot of effort trying to make sure that the beliefs we hold are the ones that show up right as we sort of converse with the world and interact with the world. And so that is internally, there's a psychology associated with being wrong uh, that makes it very difficult to update our beliefs and the models that we actually employ on a regular basis. Um, Sociologically, it would be this thing of withholding, right? So um, there is a cost, even if as an individual, if we got to the place where we said, you know what, um, I have uh, looked at the information honestly and soberly, and I believe and understand that the thing that I thought was true is no longer true. If we were part of a group that holds that as a core sort of principle of membership, um, there's a real cost, right? And so we may understand that individually, but can we really update that if we understand that updating that belief would actually cost us membership and something that is very dear to us, right? So if there's a group of people um, who we get uh, sort of meaning and identity and relation with. Uh, and if we change our belief, we're going to lose that. That's a real cost and actually may prevent us from doing that. And so it is both of those things. It is the internal workings of the way that we think about and interact with the world, as well as the interactions between people and the way that we process those 
um, that can really stand in the way of us actually being able to utilize information and data that we have access to in our world now. Wow. We are up against so much trying to get things right. It's, it's amazing that we ever do. And it's not as though big data and information and all the stuff we have access to leads us always to a good answer. And so what we have to do is learn how to take advantage of both of those, take advantage of our own experiences, but also take advantage of the big data and information that we now have access to in order to drive us closer to the reality and a, and a better understanding of what's going on in the world. All right, Donnie, that is a lot to take in. Why don't we take a break here? And we, when we come back, we could talk about what to do moving forward, knowing that we are at such a disadvantage to comprehend all this data. All right, Donnie, welcome back. Okay, you got me a little depressed here. So now there's all this data out here. You've proven to me that I am not equipped mathematically, psychologically, or socially to deal with all of this and to make sense of this world. So now I turn to you. You're gonna you, you got to tell me how how do I move forward in in a world like this? <laughs> like with <laughs> you give me some tools or some advice uh, to move forward with all this data that I simply cannot manage. Well, so I don't want to, in my walking away, being depressed. I think it's a, it's an exciting time, right? It's it's a new world, like in in ways that I I don't comprehend. I don't think anybody fully comprehends. We we are walking into a new, uh, to a new world, and so uh, not be, meant to be depressing. It's meant to just say, hey, look, um, we're living in a world that uh, presents information in a way that we never have had access to it historically. And we just got to learn new skills. We got to learn, you know, new ways to deal in, in, in that new world. And so my hope is uh, not that it's depressing, but that it's encouraging to, to say, hey, look, um, here's a reality. Uh, you know, as a society, we've got to figure out how to be effective in this new world. Um, we've got to figure out what it means. And we've got to let it help us to get closer to reality as opposed to uh, be something that leads us astray or, you know, creates further and further division in, in various sort of subpopulations in our society. Okay. So what do we do moving forward? How about some tools? Yeah. Well, I think the, the, the biggest one, and um, you know, we, we can talk about this in, in various ways, but I, I think we have to approach the world with a certain level of curiosity, but a huge dose of humility, right? And mm-hmm. so um, most of us, myself included, approach the world trying to prove ourselves right. Um, and when we do that, it it, it's sort of the, the wrong starting point, right? It just leads us down all kinds of paths that don't uh, don't come to good ends. And so, um, first of all, we have to be curious. We, we have to sort of constantly say, like, maybe I don't have this right, or maybe there is some information, or, or maybe I don't know everything. And so, um, you know, search the world, look, look for information, um, try to figure out what's going on. At the same time, you have to have a certain humility when you actually go out looking for that stuff. So again, um, you know, it's difficult to do, but you have to enter this sort of uh, process and this search, um, trying to minimize your own bias, trying to minimize, uh, you know, the process of trying to prove yourself right, but just looking for, uh, you know, what the raw information, the raw data is actually telling you. So I think the first thing is um, we have to approach the world with a certain curiosity, but with a huge, huge um, helping of, uh, of humility, right? We, we have to be able to do that. Okay. 
And I'm going to guess number two is going to be, or somewhere on your list is going to be the possibility of my favorite three words. Yeah. I was wrong. I yeah. was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so that, so that is number two, right? So we, we can't feel threatened um, by being wrong, right? We, we, we have to, um, we have to, you know, in the same way we approach the world in the search process with a big dose of humility, we have to be able to say I was wrong, right? When information and, and data and the reality is different than what I believed, I, I have to be able to say I'm wrong. And I, I promise you, like it is it is difficult sometimes to do, but it is freeing. Like once once you can identify that you don't have to be right about everything in the world and that um, you know, you are free to be wrong and that that is not going to be the end of your um, sort of identity in the world, like it's, it's freeing, right? It's freeing to be able to go out and search the world and um, actually even sometimes rejoice in the, the notion of being wrong. Like, woohoo, I am wrong <laughs> because when I am wrong, it means I learned something, right? It means that, right, that, I, right. that I have, um, you know, I've learned. And, you know, I think that is such a, such a positive thing for us as adults, particularly because, um, you know, as children, we're searching the world as adults, we're trying to prove ourselves right. And, uh, you know, it's really important that uh, that we actually have the capacity to say that we are wrong. Yeah. And I think that, and that's one of the things I like to show my kids too. I think it's a very important tool to learn. So I, I do, I, I revel in it when I can tell my kids, you know what, I was wrong about this. I think it's a great example to pass to them that you can be wrong and it's a, it's a great learning experience. Yeah. And then, you know, the other thing um, is, is, is just really, um, helping ourselves get better at this, right? And and yeah. so you know that is the the set of skills that are you know mathematical and statistical. It's it's understanding our psychology. It is uh, being open to uh, you know the sociological um, <laughs> sociological pressures and and sort of dynamics that that are in play. Like one of the, you know one of the more fascinating things to me, particularly in the U.S., this is problematic because we think about ourselves as you know such independent agents with um, <laughs> with this strong dose of autonomy that, uh, you know, nobody tells us what to do and, you know, all those kinds of things. The reality is, is even if you're doing it so that no one tells you what to do, that is part of building identity within a group. So just, just the people around us, the way that we interact with people, like those things, those dynamics do play into the way that we shape our models and perceptions of the world um, and, and the way that we actually interact with it. And so, um, you know, again, just recognizing the psychological processes and the sociology of this and, you know, trying to build skills to, um, you know, circumvent those things, to, to really build new habits and models and processes of interacting with the world, I think is is really the third leg of the stool. So we have to be curious but humble. We have to be open to being wrong. And we have to continue to build skills that allow us to uh, be effective in this world of big data and all this information we have access to now. Yeah, but no pain, no gain. This is obviously something that requires effort. This doesn't happen overnight, right? It's it's not intuitive. I mean, it's it's just it's just not. Right. These are not things that we are, you know, ordinarily aware of. We we can um, and we'll talk about these some later on in the podcast. But there there are all these paradoxes that exist in the world, um, in the way that we process information, in the way that uh, you know probability works, and you know a bunch of other things work, and so. These things are just not intuitive, right? They, 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 these no. are not these are not things that we are born knowing. We have to learn them. We have to put in the effort to learn them. And um, 
you know, as we live in a world uh, that is so, so full of data information, they become so much more important. Um, but it takes effort. It, do, it does take a lot of effort to really uh, become effective at uh, dealing in a world with, with all this information. Yeah, because I am right and I love to be right. It feels so good to be right. You know what else is good? All my friends are always right. My whole social group is right. It feels so good to be on the right side of everything. And it feels so good to be right and to not have to think about it because I don't think too deeply because all of my incredible intelligence comes to me so quickly. All of this feels so good. So yes, I could see why (laughs) that this would be hard work to get over because the other feels so good. Yeah, it does. It does. It's efficient. Um, it's, uh, It's easy. And like yep. you said, there, there's a huge internal payoff, right? Like sure is. when we prove ourselves right, it feels good. It's like a little Ooh, yeah. shot of adrenaline. It's like some sort of drug that uh, makes us a little, uh, little loopy there for a couple of seconds or so. But, um, but yeah, so um, I, I think it's, uh, you know, again, the reason we did the perception versus reality is just to highlight some of these things. And, you know, maybe you're someone who spends your days looking at numbers and information and none of this came as a surprise to you and, um, yeah, I'm glad for that as well. So I'm glad you put in the effort to try to, um, you know, see what's going on in some of these things. Uh, but for the rest of us, um, I, you know, our hope is that, you know, digging into what's really going on in some of these situations starts to highlight some of the ways that our internal models may be sort of, uh, sort of off or different than the reality of what's going on and um, really highlight some of those, uh, you know, mathematical fiscal concepts, but also, the psychology and sociology that drives a lot of those disconnects. Rob, thanks again uh, for being here this week. Uh, I do want to leave you with one thought. So we talked about uh, this idea that we live in a a new kind of world with access to all kinds of uh, information. Um, There was a paper last year um, by a guy named Vopson. I I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly or not. It's V-O-P-S-O-N. And, um, you know, he did some uh, some back of the envelope kinds of comp- uh, sort of computations and a little bit more precise than that. But, um, you know, his notion is that um, in 130 years, the power needed to sustain all the digital information that has been created will be more than all of the power we currently generate on Earth. And that by that same time, half of the Earth's mass would be digital information. So all this information that we are storing and that we now have access to is actually um, digital, but it has size. It takes energy to maintain. And um, in 130 years, half of the mass of the earth would be digital. Whoa. (laughs) I'm trying to comprehend that. Yeah. So there's uh, in his research, you know, he talks about IBM estimated that, uh, Information is created at about 2.5 quintillion bytes every single day. And uh, 50% annual growth in data generation uh, means in 150 years, more than half of the Earth's mass would be in data and information. I guess I better start deleting some photos. Yeah. And and actually, um, this guy's argument is that we should start thinking about this as... Um, uh, <laughs> as its own um, state of matter that, you know, gas, liquid, you know, plasma and solid, and that uh, digital information should be its own, uh, its own form of matter. (laughs) I don't know where to go with that. (laughs) Yeah. So when we frame it, 
<laughs> when we frame it like that, all the, when I say we live in a new world, we're living in a new world with a different kind of matter, a right. fifth state of matter that at some point in the next 130 years, which is not that far away, could make up more than half of the mass of the earth and could take up more um, power than we currently generate um, as a world in order to maintain. Well, glad I won't be here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But but I say all that just to highlight, like it's a different world, like it's it's a new paradigm, um, and we are still definitely learning how to actually function effectively within it. And so, um, you know, take that as a point of uh, you know curiosity or, or being scared, or take that as a point of encouragement. Um, but we certainly are living through sort of an information revolution, and uh, it is something that uh, you know we're, we're going to feel some growing pains for a while, um, but. Hopefully, as we move forward and as we get through this process, that we'll learn um, how to more effectively incorporate all this stuff into our lives and into the way we make decisions. Yep. It's a new world. It's okay to be overwhelmed, but it's just going to take some some effort to thrive. Some, some effort and some work. And so, um, again, I appreciate you being here this week. Um, I'll leave you with that uh, random thought, and uh, <laughs> I hope you have a great week. For those that are listening, as always, um, animythics at gmail.com. If you want to reach out to us, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, we hope you all stay happy and healthy. And again, you know, possibly the greatest news of all, at least in the United States, not necessarily in the world, but it looks like the pandemic is in uh, a much, much um, more benign scenario right now. And it's continuing to trend in the right direction. And uh, hopefully as we move forward, um, that will continue to spread across the world that we'll be able to you know, get vaccines in the hands of people who need them. Um, we'll continue to develop uh, treatments for this kind of disease and we'll eventually see this thing kind of wind down and the world get back to a little bit of a more normal pace. So we hope you enjoy it. We hope things are going well for you personally and we look forward to talking to you again soon. It's like food for your ears. <laughs>